Well, I invite you to grab your Bible and open it up to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 5 to 11. And uh, whenever I get to this passage, I always think of this uh, time uh, that happened to me and my wife when we had our, uh, our son. And we were just a new family and we were living in this condo on the second floor. And I heard just screaming in the house. And I ran out. And there was my wife, and there was a son, and right there at the window, there was a lizard who was coming in through the open window of our house. And they were screaming like our home was being invaded. And this was a pretty good-sized lizard. And I ran up, and they were trying to shoo him out of the window. And I ran up, and I looked at the lizard, and I thought, yeah, maybe we can just push him out this way or get him out this way. And it was like the creature made eye contact with me. Like he stared me down and then he jumped into my house onto the floor. He crossed the line. I, I was like, I'm the man of this house. I'm the defender of my wife. I am the protector of my child. And I had a thought that up until that moment, I don't think that I'd ever had in my entire life, which is I had the intent to kill. That's what I was there to do. Like that's home invasion and we're done. And I picked up a broom, and I looked at this guy, and I hit him as hard as I have ever hit anything in my entire life, which is probably not that hard. But I gave him all that I had. And this guy right there on the floor, he popped into two pieces. There was the head over there, and there was the tail over here. And I was like, that's right. You don't come into my house. And then the tail starts wiggling. Like it's moving all around. And now my wife and my child are even more freaked out. This lizard's come back from the dead. And I just started hitting that tail as hard as I could. As many times as it took till it stopped wiggling. And what it's going to tell us here in the scripture tonight. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. This is all going to make sense when you look at verse 5. Notice what it says right here. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you. When it comes to the sin in our life, we have to kill it. Read the whole passage with me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now we're going through this passage here in Colossians chapter 3, and we started last night. Look back to verse 1 of Colossians 3, where it says, If then you have been raised with Christ. That's our theme this week. The resurrection. We celebrated on Easter that Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty because Jesus came back to life. And the offer from Jesus Christ to you is that you would live a new life. That you would die to your old life of sin. And that you would be raised with Christ. And it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. If you would consider yourself a Christian who is living a new life in Jesus, then here's one thing that you're supposed to do in your life, a way that you're supposed to think in your life, is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, you are supposed to put to death what is earthly in you. This is your attitude now towards the sin that remains in your life, the flesh, we like to call it. You are supposed to mortify the flesh, to kill the sin that lingers in your life. And here's what I'm going to suggest to you tonight. That if the Bible tells you to put to death what is earthly in you. Then it's something that is possible for Christians to actually do. 
The Bible is commanding you to do something that you can do if then you've been raised with Christ. So if it's going to tell us to put to death what is earthly in us, the sin that's in us, then point number one, let's start it out like this. You need to believe your sin can die. You need to believe that you can be done with this sin. You can put it to death. You can hit that wiggling tail so it doesn't keep coming back. Now this is the clear testimony of Scripture that believers should put their sin to death. It's the clear testimony of Scripture and it's the massive confusion of the church. Okay, We're talking about tonight the issue that is perhaps the most controversial issue to talk about in the church in America right now. Can a Christian continue in sin? Overwhelmingly, people who go to churches like this one act like it's okay to have sin in your life overwhelmingly people act like that and then you have passages like this right here where it says put to death therefore what is earthly in you well what does it mean by what is earthly let's just well one category clearly is sexual immorality and all of the lust that comes with it and all of the greed of wanting more ultimately when you do your own sexual ethics when you allow your body to freely express itself however you want to express yourself that's idolatry because you're saying you can do whatever you want and you are not god is not your god anymore i mean sex is actually pretty simple when you read the bible it's not a confusion it's not a mystery. God created man and woman. They were to be joined together in marriage and they were to become one flesh. And anything outside of that man and that woman and that marriage is sin. It's sexual immorality. And it says you got to put that to death. Then it gives us another list of a kind of sin. Look at verse 8. And it says you got to put them all away. You got to take them completely off. You got to be done with them here. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Here's this just rage coming up within, obscene talk. It comes up from the heart. It comes out of the mouth. And it's just this hatred towards people. It's this frustration with the circumstances in your life. It's just, you just have a, a fuse that only lasts for so long. And eventually it goes off and there's fits of rage in your life coming from your heart. And it says that if there's sin like sexual morality in your life, if there's sin like anger in your life, then your goal is to kill that sin, to put it to death. Now we got, it's very clear what it's saying here. And how come it's not so clear to us as we talk about it with one another? How come the clarity of the scripture gets lost in the confusion of modern Christianity? And so we're going to have to address tonight some specific phrases even that people say. And we're going to have to see whether these phrases are really what the Bible's saying or not. Maybe we've all been told some things that seem true from our experience and what we've heard. But when we compare them to scripture, they're not actually true. And the first thing we got to talk about is the flesh. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Let's, let's get our eyes on the passage that Johnny was talking about in the video tonight. Where he was saying, the man, what a powerful story. When he hears the fruits of the Spirit, he wants them so badly and he realizes he hasn't had them in his life. And his life has been dominated in the deeds of the flesh. Now, when you study Galatians 5, a lot of people speak of this passage. Like, hey, the deeds of the flesh are bad, and the fruit of the Spirit is good. So try to have less of the flesh in your life, and more of the Spirit in your life. Like, the flesh is just a normal part of the Christian life. When you listen to Christians talk, they act like, well, I did this sin in my flesh, and the flesh got a hold of me, and I did that thing. But when you study this passage... It's not saying, hey, give us a little less of the flesh and give us a little more of the spirit. It's actually saying something completely opposite of that. It's saying the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other is what it's saying. In fact, if you would define your life as living in the flesh, you can claim that you believe in Jesus all you want. But if your life is defined by the deeds of the flesh, making it very clear in verse 21, halfway through of Galatians 5, 21, it says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who do deeds of the flesh, are they going to heaven or not? What is it saying right here? You guys tell me, are they going to heaven or not? They're not going there. Crystal clear. And I'm warning you, and I've warned you before, 
and probably will have to say it again. You can profess anything that you want. You find out if you're a real Christian or not by the practice of your life. Not by the profession, not by what you say, not by a prayer you prayed one time or something you believe in your head. No, if you are still in the deeds of the flesh, you can say you believe whatever you want to say you believe. But I'm here to tell you what Galatians 5.21 says. I'm here to warn you tonight. And I've warned you before, and if you stick around long enough, I'll warn you again and again and again that people who do the deeds of the flesh will not be with us in heaven. That's what the scripture says. Well, but that's not how anybody talks about it. Well, that's how God talks about it. In the Bible, I want to make sure I'm saying what God's saying. In fact, look down at verse 24. Look at how clear this language is. I don't want to have a casual approach to talking about my flesh when the Bible says this. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? The flesh. Have crucified. It's dead. The flesh is dead. If you belong to Jesus, your flesh is dead with its passions and its desires. You're putting to death something that's already died. It popped into two and the tail's still wiggling and you're hitting it with the intention to kill. That's our attitude about sin in our life. So when it says the flesh here, let's just define what the scripture says about the flesh. The flesh has been crucified with Christ. The way we should refer to our flesh is in the past tense, as in it is dead. And I'm still putting it to death. If it ever wiggles its tail around here one more time, I'm going to seek to kill it. Now think about how radical this is. When you kill something, and maybe you've never killed something. I think this lizard is the only thing that I've really ever killed in my life. When you kill something, do you expect it to come back or is it done? See? We don't expect things to come back from the dead. That's why we're so excited about Resurrection Week when Jesus rose. But listen to how people talk about their sin. Many people are content that they haven't sinned in three days. Or they haven't sinned in two weeks. Or you'll get somebody who's really godly and holy. And they'll be like, hey, I haven't done that sin in a month. Like we think the dead lizard's coming out of the trash in a month? Like when something's dead, we're not expecting it to come back. Is that our approach towards sin? I'm trying to eliminate it from existence in my life. I don't want it to be here at all. Go to Romans chapter 8. You think, well, you're just basing this on this one passage. No, we we could go all night. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And let's just make clear that whatever we've heard about the flesh, whatever we might think about the flesh, well, it has to make sense with these passages that speak explicitly about the flesh. And let's just jump to the punchline, and then we'll go back and get the context, but jump to the punchline of Romans 8, 13. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 13, and tell me if this isn't saying the same thing that Colossians 3, 5 is saying when it's saying you got to put it to death. It's saying, for if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Oh, that doesn't sound good. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will... Boom. I mean, what a strong statement. That's a clear statement right there. See, one of the things, everybody here, whether you know it or not, you are a scholar of Scripture. You practice hermeneutics every single day. Do you know what I mean by that, hermeneutics? The study of, the study of interpreting the Bible. The study of how we understand what the scripture means. Every day you're deciding what you're going to believe about what God has said in his word. And this is saying that if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. You're still in your sin. But if by the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, that's real life. That's the power of the resurrection. But people are like, well, that's not how it feels to me. It feels like the flesh is beating me up and down all the time. And a lot of times what people do when they interpret the scripture is they let their experience speak louder than the scripture in their life. Well, I feel like the flesh does this. You've got to decide your hermeneutics here tonight. You've got to decide, is my experience going to help me understand what this means? Or is scripture going to help me understand what my experience means? Which one defines my interpretation? Now, just to get the context here, go all the way back to verse 8. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ouch! Pretty clear statement. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the 
spirit. So again, it sounds like a state of being. It sounds like you're in one or you're in the other. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit that indwells us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If then you have been raised with Christ, you have the spirit who will give you life and you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. Anybody want to say amen right now? Do we believe this? Do we believe this? This is what the Bible teaches. But when you're struggling with sin this week, are you going to believe that you can kill it and be done with it because the spirit is raising you up to new life in Christ? That's what the Bible teaches. What do you believe? There's a lot of talk about the flesh and I don't think a lot of people are saying what Romans 8 are saying, what Galatians 5 are saying. We need to make sure that we're using biblical terms in biblical ways. Do we see the flesh and the spirit as you're either in one or you're in the other and one is still in death and one is raised to life? And I know what everybody's thinking because it's the number one thing that I hear when I bring up anything close to this. But nobody's, and what word are we going to put in there? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And I understand what we mean when we say nobody's perfect because I'm not perfect, right? And I'm going to guess if we act to you, you would say you're not perfect. And we can all relate to the reality that nobody's perfect except for one small problem. It's a lie. Because there is someone who is perfect. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I've been raised in Christ. And it says that when I see him, I will be like him. And so even though I'm not like him yet, someday when I behold him in all of his glory, I will be like him. And so what will I be when I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ? I will be perfect. So we could say, but nobody's perfect like Jesus, or nobody's perfect yet, those might be more accurate things to say. Because there is someone who is perfect. And we are called to be like him. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. You got to see this. 1 Peter chapter 1. The Bible is very clear. There are a lot of straightforward passages when it comes to the raised with Christ person's relationship with sin, which is we put it to death. We have nothing to do with it. And our goal is perfection. Now, are we there yet? Am I there yet? Are you there yet? No, but the goal of our resurrected life is, well, let's just see what the scripture says. Don't hear it from me. Hear it straight from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Look what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you weren't here last night, I really hope that you'll go listen to the sermon. Because it sets up this sermon perfectly. That, that was kind of the good news last night. That when we've been raised with Christ, we're gonna, our life is hidden with Christ in God in heaven right now. And we should be heavenly minded because that's where we're going. That's the direction of everything is we're going to be in heaven with Christ. And so we're supposed to set our hope fully on seeing Christ, the grace, the future grace we're going to receive when Jesus is revealed and we become like him. So I'm looking forward to being in heaven with Jesus. But then it says this in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back and live the way you used to live. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for what? There is somebody who's perfect. There is someone who is holy. And that perfect someone, that holy someone is saying to you that I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And you can write down Matthew chapter 5, I believe it's verse 49 where it literally says you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
And we're striving towards perfection. That's Matthew 5 verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Talking about how we love those who don't even love us in return. But we love like our heavenly father with a perfect kind of a love. You shall be holy because I am holy. So the goal, okay, is perfection. It's not maybe, we're not there. We haven't reached the goal yet. But perfection is the goal of our new direction. Let's get that down for our second dash here under point number one. Perfection is the goal of the new direction. As Christians, is anybody here claiming to be perfect? No, we're not perfect. But we, we don't have perfection, but we do have a new direction. We've turned from our old life of sin, and we're following now Jesus Christ. And is Jesus perfect? Yes, he is. Are we headed in the direction of perfection? When we die and we're with Christ, or when he comes to get us and we're with Christ, will we be perfect like he is perfect? That's where we're headed right now. Have we gotten there? Not yet. But are we headed there? Yes, we are. So when I'm at a class and I get the syllabus, and I see that this is going to be a hard class, and to get a hundred in this class, to get all the points in this class is going to be really hard. In fact, it might even be impossible for me. It's going to be a really challenging class for me to get all of the points that are available from this teacher. There's so many tests and quizzes and papers and projects, and he actually expects you to show up at the class. And how in the world are you going to get a hundred? So should you in your mind look at it and say, I'll take an 80 on this one? That's what so many Christians are doing. They're hearing, be holy for I am holy. Eh, not going to get there. You know, I think an 80 will be good for me. Which means 20% of sin can continue to live in my life. And I've warned you, as I'll warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're not going for 100%, then you have tolerated, you have settled for, you are allowing sin to live in your life. And a lot of people, they're saying, well, this test looks pretty hard. And this class looks really challenging. And people where I come from, nobody gets 100 on this test. And so why even try? And it's okay to have sin ongoing in your life. That's the common thought in the Christian world right now in America. And I'm here to tell you tonight, that thought will take you to hell, my friend. Because you will tolerate sin in a life that is called to put that sin to death. Who do you want to believe? What people are saying or what God is saying in Scripture? Go to 1 John chapter 3 with me. Let's just look at it there. 1 John chapter 3 is going to claim that you and I can do something that sounds so arrogant and so proud in our contemporary Christian culture and look at what it says here in 1 John chapter 3. Just jump in with me. In verse 7, it says here, this is page 1022. If you got one of our Bibles, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. And trust me, people are trying to deceive you. Maybe your own self is trying to deceive you on this one. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Okay? Now, does it say here, whoever is perfect in righteousness is righteous as he is righteous? No, it does not. Okay? The only place the Bible says we're ever going to be perfect is in heaven with Christ. But it says that's our goal. That's what we're going for. We're headed towards it. And it says that what we'll see, if your goal is perfection, to be like Christ, to be holy as he is holy, the practice of your life will be. What does it say the practice of your life is here? Righteousness. Let me ask you this question. Would you feel comfortable calling yourself a righteous person here tonight? Let's think this through, okay? Is it okay for me as a Christian to call myself righteous? Now read it with me again. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of who? Does it say right there? 
So if you can't say that you practice righteousness, then who does it say you are not of? Right here. And it's pretty clear when you read it. When you just try to say, let's throw out what I've heard. Let's throw out what I've experienced. Let's throw out what makes sense to me. And let's get my mind renewed in the image of my creator. Let the holy and righteous one tell me what he expects from me. And it's clear that what he expects is a practice. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a direction of righteousness. And when someone lives in a righteous way, and maybe they would even say that right now, if you asked me, I would consider myself righteous and that I don't know of any sin that I'm committing in this present moment that I haven't confessed before God. Am I claiming to be perfect? No, but when I sin, I address it and I pursue the pattern of righteousness. When you say, if it's true, as a Christian, that I'm practicing righteousness, you are not glorifying yourself. You're glorifying the resurrection of Jesus Christ in you. That's what you're doing. You're saying that there is a power that is at work in me that is so powerful, it's so wonderful, it's so amazing that it could take someone like me born in sin, stuck in the ways of the flesh, and it can raise me up to a new life where my flesh is dead and I can now practice something that was foreign to me, that was alien to me, something I could have never had on my own, but I got from him, he gave it to me, it's righteousness, and now I can actually live that way. That's how powerful the righteousness of Jesus Christ is. It changes you so completely that the Bible goes so far as to say that you practice righteousness if you're one of Jesus' people. In fact, if you don't practice righteousness, it goes so far as to say you're not one of his people. You're not of God. It's like evident. Look at the people who are practicing righteousness. They're gods. Look at the people who are practicing sin. They're the devils. That's how John puts it. Black and white in scripture, so murky when we talk to other people. Go back to Colossians 3, and you got to see how important it is that we get this right. And you got to see how important that it is that our mind, our new self, is being renewed in the knowledge after its image of its creator. See, I'm living a new life now. And so I can put my old life to death. And look at, look at the statements here. Look how serious it is that we get this right here at this church. Souls are on the line tonight as we talk about this. Souls are on the line every time we break into one of our fellowship groups and we talk about this. Because what if there is someone here tonight that is continuing in a practice of sin but wants to feel good about how they're living? Well, here's, here's what it says. Look at this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's what Christians can do. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, idolatry. You can put that to death because on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. See, he's talking to people. If then you've been raised with Christ. You tell me you're a Christian here. Well, I'm going to believe you. That means that when the wrath of God comes on sins like sexual immorality, like anger, when God comes to judge those things, well, you don't have to fear that judgment because you don't live in those sins anymore. You used to walk in them. They used to be the pattern, but now you're not walking in them anymore. And now you can put them all away. If you can't put them all away, if you can't put them to death, that's where the confidence comes from in this passage. If you've been raised with Christ, one thing you'll be able to do, we'll see it in your life, is you'll be putting to death the, the earthly things that are in you. You'll be putting them all away. Look at the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Let's just be done with that. Let's just move on from that. And then it says something that almost seems out of place here at first. Look at verse 9. It says, do not lie to one another. Ooh. Now, is this just like some random command that we're bringing up here? Maybe because, because we were talking about obscene talk and malice, are we just now bringing up dishonesty? Well, I think maybe this is strategically put right in this passage. Because when we start talking about sin, and we start saying, hey, everybody, we need to get open. We need to be transparent. If you've got sin in your life, we don't need you putting on a, a goody two-shoes face here at the church. Man, if you've got sin in, our, in your life, let us come alongside of you. Let us encourage you. Let us hold you accountable. We want to love you. We want to help you. What's your natural inclination in the flesh when it comes time to talk about sin? What do you want to do right away? Or you want to lie to one another. 
That's what you want to do. That's what happens at Bible churches like this all over the world. I want to put on this impression that I've got it all together. And so my temptation when it comes to dealing with sin in my life, instead of being humble, instead of being real, instead of telling you the true story of my life, what I really think in my heart, I want to lie to you. I want to put on a mask and I want to make you think I'm okay. How appropriate that right here when we're getting real about sin, it says do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And isn't that what sinners do? Don't they put on all these masks? Don't they blend in like chameleons in the environment around them? Aren't they just trying to be this way with these people and this way with these people? Hey, we're supposed to have put all that away. We got to be who we are in Christ. If I've got sin, I need to be open about it. I need to confess it. What it's saying here is that honesty is the church policy. Let's get that down for point number two. The way we're going to deal with sin here at this church is we're going to get honest about it, right? Uh, People with honesty is still a virtue or honesty is always the best policy. That's the only way church works. If we don't want to be a fake church, if we don't want to be full of hypocrites like so many places are, then you have to stop lying to one another. And I'll tell you this, whatever sin you are struggling with, I don't, I honestly, whatever it is, there is power in Jesus Christ to be raised out of that sin. There is power in Jesus Christ to put that sin to death and not to walk and practice that anymore. And that we can help you get to that power in Jesus Christ. We just need one thing from you. We need honesty. As long as you are honest with people at church, there is always hope for Jesus to save the day. It's once you go underground. It's when you start, once you start giving the impression like everything's righteous and everything's good, but really you're keeping the truth from us. See, then we respond to what you say and we take you at your word because we don't want to judge you and we don't want to come and, come and get after you because you're telling me you're fine. I'm going to take you at your word. Love believes all things. I'm going to believe you're fine. And now there's an issue of sin in your life that I can't help you with. And if you lie to enough people around here, no one now knows the real you. And you have isolated, you could be right here singing worship songs. And you have isolated yourself so completely by lying to everyone that there's righteousness going on here. And now no one can help you. Where is the hope now? It's hypocrisy. It takes you away from the light. You know what coming to the light looks like? It means telling us about your sin. You know what the darkness looks like? It means hiding it. Don't let anybody know what's really going on at our house. Don't let anybody know what's really going on in our marriage. Don't let anybody know what's really going on with our kids. Don't let anybody know what I'm really looking at on the computer. Don't let anybody know what I really said the other day. Just keep it secret. Do not lie to one another. The only way this works is if we will be honest. Go to James chapter 5 with me, a classic passage that we got to look at here. You know, I've had the privilege of diving into one of our fellowship groups here at the church and getting to know some of the men here a little bit better. And we've made it very clear uh, in our group that, that we don't want right answers. We're not, this isn't the church where we're looking for the right answers, okay? We can read the book. We know what the right answers are. We can go tell them to each other. That, that's great. But what we want are the real answers here at this church. Not the right answers. I hope nobody feels pressure to to say what is right. And if you feel that pressure, I would encourage you to to reject it. You need to say what is real. And if what is real is righteous, well then praise the Lord. That's his resurrection power working in your life. But if what is real is not the right answer, we would prefer to hear the real answer. And it's an exciting night at the fellowship group, I'll tell you, when people start disagreeing with the pastor's sermon when the pastor's in the room. I mean, that is a good night, a fellowship group, everybody. It's awesome. And I got to get together with some of the men uh, uh, from the group. And, it, and we just started going around. One of the guys initiated it. And we just started going around and we started sharing. Hey, when we look at these attributes that we're supposed to have here in this book that we were studying of the Bible, list of attributes that it's calling for men to have. Hey, where do we fall short? And guys started getting real. And you know what? When people tell you what's really going on in their heart, in their life, you start to feel like you really know them and you start to love them even more, don't you? Don't you? 
How many times have people been so afraid to confess their sin because people were going to judge them and then when they actually do confess their sin, what they find is a greater degree of love and forgiveness than they've ever known in their entire life. And I was so convinced that this person was going to be like this and this person was going to be like this and this person was going to be like this and really I was blaming everybody else for my own guilt and shame. And as soon as I got open, as soon as I got real, some of God's people showed up and they came alongside of me and they loved me. And they related to me. And I hope that you will be real here at our church and I hope if someone has the boldness to be real around you, that you will not judge them, that you will not give them a hard time. You will love them and come alongside of them. Say, I'm here with you because I believe something. I believe that in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, we cannot practice this sin anymore. In fact, we can put it to death. So let's do that together. And I'm going to be right here with you. But it starts with being honest. In fact, look what James chapter 5 says here. Let's even jump in uh, to verse... uh, to verse 13. Let's start there to get the whole context. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, see, when you come together and you pray together, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what does it say there? That you may be, let's be done with the sin. How do we get done with the sin? Well, we confess it to one another. We pray for one another because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Again, here's the Bible calling people righteous. People who've been raised up with Christ. People who've been putting sin to death in their life. People who are practicing righteousness in the direction of perfection. And it says if you're in sin, the best thing you could possibly do, the best thing you could possibly do is go find someone that you think is actually living the new direction in Jesus Christ and confess your sin to them so that they'll pray for you. I mean, we have this idea that the best way to help people is to put them in a room with a bunch of other people that have the same problem as them so that we can all relate to each other. I mean, a few people are laughing. We should all just take a minute to realize, is that really the best strategy here? Maybe the best thing to do would be to pair someone up with someone who is not struggling with that issue. Someone who is on the right path. Oh, someone who has the comfort and the love to relate to the person because we can all relate to the sin that we were born in, but they also have the practice of righteousness to be an example to them and to inspire them in a new way. And you need to confess your sin to someone that you consider a righteous person so that they can pray for you, that they can come alongside of you, and they can encourage you. Don't wait for the righteous person to come to you. It says, go and confess your sins to one another. We're not talking about confessing your sins to a priest or a pastor. We're talking about one another. The people at the church. Man, that guy in my group, that guy that invited me into this church, this guy who's been a friend of mine, you know what I think about that guy? I think he's actually been raised with Christ. And I think he's actually living the Christian life. And you know what? I'm struggling, man. I should go to him. And I should ask him to pray for me about this. Man, how helpful it is to have a brother or a sister who will get your back in life. That's what we need. It's interesting because it starts by these lists of sins and it says this really intense thing. We got to put these sins to death but the further we get in Colossians 3 the more it's going to talk about how we need to stop our sins in isolation. We need to stop our sins being secret and we need to work on our sins together. It's going to push you towards community. It's going to push you towards fellowship here in Colossians 3. Hey, maybe the reason that that sin is continuing to wag its tail in your life is you're out there on your own. You're trying to deal with it by yourself. And maybe if you opened up with it in front of a group or you reached out to a brother or a sister, maybe that's where you'd start to see power to put off the old and to put on the new. Sins live in secret, but they die in the light of public conversation. 
of confessing them to one another. I was reminded today by one of the men here at the church who's here tonight. I was reminded of uh, when we were talking about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And we talked about the herd of wildebeest. When you look at the lions going after the wildebeest, what wildebeest are they always going after? The weak ones, the small ones, the fringe ones, the ones on the outside. You know where you want to be if you're struggling with sin? You want to be right next to the strongest wildebeest we got here at this church. The biggest, hairiest wildebeest you can find. And you want to grab three or four of them and you want them surrounding you. Because when the lion comes, you want some righteous people standing next to you. That's what we need. And it's our own pride. It's our own unwillingness to admit that we have sin in our lives that might be the thing that condemns us in the end. We can't lie to one another. We gotta be open. We gotta be honest. And we gotta speak the truth because here's what can happen. Go back to Colossians 3. Man, it gets intense here. In, in, in the put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, in the list of sins, that's it expecting you to put away. But here's why you can put them off. Look at what it ends with here at this passage. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self which is being renewed. And here's the image that I'm striving for is the image of my creator, the holy and perfect one. I want to be more like Christ and less like me. That's the goal here. And so I'm getting my mind not with who I used to be. No, I know about that. I need my mind renewed and who I'm going to be made to be, Jesus Christ. And here, when we're putting off the old and putting on the new, in this place of being raised with Christ, there's no distinction between people. There's no Greek and Jew. There's no circumcised and uncircumcised. There's nobody who's a barbarian or a Scythian. There's no slave or free. No, here, Christ is all and Christ is in all. Anybody who's practicing righteousness, anybody who's been raised to put sin to death and to walk in newness of life, there's only one reason that ever happens in anybody's life. Jesus Christ working in them. That's the reason. He gets all the glory. Don't worry. If you start living a righteous life here, don't worry. We're not going to think it's you, okay? Just don't, just don't even worry about it. We're not going to be like, look at that righteous man or woman. Look at that righteous teenager. What an oxymoron, right? Look at that righteous teenager, right? I mean, that, you laugh when I say teenager because we don't expect teenagers to be righteous. Have you looked around the church? We got some righteous teenagers here at the church. How in the world did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ doesn't care what your IQ is. He doesn't care what your skin color is. He makes you righteous. He gives it to you. It's his righteousness. That you are renewed in. That you're raised to live in. Hey, don't worry about it. All right? You think, well, they're all going to think I'm showing off. No, we're, yeah, we're going to think you're showing off the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to think you're showing off. I hope, yeah, don't try to make it about you. Don't draw attention to yourself because nobody's going to buy it. Trust me. Okay? What we're going to buy is look at what Jesus has done in the life of so-and-so. And when you get baptized, we're not going to be impressed with you getting baptized. We're going to be impressed with that Jesus Christ was patient with you and was merciful to you and was gracious to you and has completely transformed you and raised you to where, who are you even now? I don't even recognize you anymore because now what I see is Christ in you. That's what I see now. And I want to worship him. And it will inspire me that if Christ could do that in you, he could do it in me, he could do it in all of us. Christ in all. That's what it says here at the end of our passage. Christ is all and in all. That's how the church works. Go to Galatians chapter 3, just a few pages over to the left here. And you'll see a very similar statement in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. And I think there's even a reference here to baptism. What we saw tonight. People who have died to their old life. And they have risen. They put to death deeds of the flesh. We even heard testimony of sexual immorality being put to death here tonight. Through the power of Jesus Christ. And and that's what it says here in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Not only the symbol in water. But the reality of dying with Christ. You die with Christ to live with Christ. 
That's the point. You put to death the deeds of the flesh because you die to live. And as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You're putting off the old and you're putting on the new. And what is the difference? Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the church. That's us right here. In fact, go back to chapter 2, verse 20, and look what it says here about this life that we have in Christ. When we die to our old life of the flesh and sin, and we rise again to a new life, it says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you know this verse? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't think I can get my act together. That's why I repented of my sin. That's why I put my faith in Jesus. I would still be out there trying to get my own act together. See? But I live by faith in the Son of God. I believe that He can raise me up, that He can make me righteous. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that if you have then been raised with Christ, here's what you, by the power of the Spirit, can do, by the new life in Jesus can do. You can go home tonight. Believe this. You can go home tonight and you can put to death the, what is earthly in you. Anybody want to say amen to that? And if you're having a hard time with it, if you need some help with it, man, let me show you a room of people here that would love to stay here for hours even after this service, talking to you about whatever sin you've got going on in your life and how the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can put that sin to death. I mean, we can kill it for real. So it doesn't keep coming back. So it doesn't keep pulling you down. We can put it to death. Let's do it here tonight. So who's going to get honest? Who's going to get open? Who could say tonight that we are practicing righteousness? Can you say that? Can you say that's the direction of your life? Again, not saying perfection. That's the goal we're going for. We haven't got there yet. But the direction we're going is towards that. And when it, the practice of our life is righteousness. Can you say that here tonight? If you got some sin in your life that's lingering around, that's wagging its tail on the floor of your house, you need to hit it as hard as you can here tonight. And let's just get very practical. If you got sin that's coming in through your eye, what does Jesus say you should do with your eyeball? What does he say? He says, rip it out and throw it from you. If it's coming in through your hand, what does he say you should do with your hand, with your arm? You should cut it off. I think Jesus is encouraging us to get pretty radical with the sin in our lives, like to not tolerate it any longer, to put it to death. Tonight could be the night your sin dies. Could happen right here tonight. As a Christian, we're here to encourage you and maybe some people here tonight, you'll even realize that this being raised to new life, this practice of righteousness, that you can't really say that's happened in your life. Maybe you believed in Jesus. Maybe you professed faith. But if you're honest, maybe there's somebody here tonight that realizes, I'm still in my flesh. I'm still doing the deeds of the flesh and I can believe in Jesus and I can want to not do them and I can try to not do them but at the end of the day I have to admit that I'm still doing them. Let me give you some good news right now. You don't have to do them anymore. You could be raised to new life with Jesus Christ here tonight. What an amazing concept that right here among us People are placed into Christ and they die to their old self and they begin to walk in newness of life. What an amazing God who can save us like that. Let us believe in him and let us apply his word to our lives. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I just want to read this passage to end. And then we'll sing a couple more songs. But really what we're going to give you a chance to do while we sing these songs is to uh, confess your sin to the Lord if that's what you need to do. And then after we sing these songs, if you want to, you'll have a chance to confess your sins to one another. We can't force you to do it. We're not trying to put pressure on you, but we are trying to tell you what the Word says and encourage you to do it. And there's an already not yet theme here in uh, Colossians. 
See, when you have died with Christ and you've been risen with him, well, that's already happened. That happened at the moment you were saved, at the moment you were into Christ. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, well, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. There goes the flesh. There goes the life of the practice of sin. And behold, the new has come. That happens at a moment when you get placed into Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And then we get to Colossians 3 where it says, well, that's something we got to keep working out in our life. We got to put off the old because we're clothed in Christ now and we put on the new. It happens at one moment in time, but then the rest of our life we're still working it out by putting those deeds of the flesh to death and by walking in newness of life. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for the clarity of your word. We thank you so much that there is the possibility of living a resurrection life. If we will die to our life of sin, then we will live in Christ. And God, this has happened for some of us here in the room where once we were placed in Christ, the old is gone. Look at it. Behold, check it out. There it goes. And the new has come. And God, we praise you for our salvation here tonight. We want to say as your people that we would all still be living in sin if it were not for the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We say that to you right now, God, and we give Jesus the glory for anything good, for anything righteous, for any change in our life that's come from the change in our heart and the power of his spirit. We give Jesus the glory right now for any work he's done in our life. And God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing, but they would keep putting off the old and keep putting on the new all the way till Jesus comes when we're completely made new like him. God, if there's a brother or sister who's got some sin in their life they know they need to deal with, I pray that you will convict them by the power of your spirit and you'll encourage them to confess it to somebody they know that's righteous. To find that strength, that encouragement, that prayer that they need. And God, my heart just goes out to that person who's here at our church, who's always trying to do the things we say. They always want to obey. And every day they wake up and they think, well, today's the day I'll do it. Today's the day I'll live for Jesus. But the truth is, it's so hard. It seems impossible. They can't get a hundred. And they realize even tonight that they're still walking in the flesh. They're still trying to do it in their own strength. They're still trying to get salvation by their own works and they haven't experienced that resurrection power of Christ. I pray that tonight would be the night that they would say enough trying. I'm dying to my old self and I'm asking God to raise me up to a new life in Christ. I'm asking for his power to save me. God, work your power, your might to save, your new life that you give. Give it to souls tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And we ask that just everybody would take a moment right now to examine yourself before God and to confess your sin if you need to.